Welcome to Shas Illuminated. Please enjoy the following shear. I wanted to first say to the guys how much I appreciate the shvuis we just experienced was, was something very, very uplifting. It's always hard to say in your life that it was life-changing. Time will tell if it was life-changing. I could say that I sit here this afternoon a better person from the experience. And I want to say there's not a group, there's not a place on earth I would rather be for Kabbalah Satira. The absolute sincerity, the way the guys learned that night, the beautiful atmosphere in the base Medrash, the beautiful atmosphere by the Tfilis, the beautiful atmosphere by the Simcha Sachag, by the Oynik Shabbos, by all the different times, by the Sudas. There were so many beautiful scenes. I'm going to mention names. It's not limited to that name. I watched. This morning I called Ray Brownstein. I watched La Vie over the whole choice. I'm not, I, I did not, if he wasn't here, this wasn't says, I didn't say it to Ray Brownstein or to my family, to my wife. I wasn't saying it to get a chair. I'm saying that it was moving to me to see sincerity. I watched Yair Cohn, the whole Shruis, to see. I'm saying I, there are many names I can mention. I watched Michal. I watched Michal the whole Yantar as well. Yaakov Ellen, Yaakov Ellen, the list goes on. The list goes on. Just in a very, in a very, very sincere way, I feel lucky to be part of this Chabura, to be part of a sincere group. The, the feelings that existed, the honesty, the, there was something there that was tangible. I'm not, I'm not looking for crazy dramatic. It's not, that's not what I'm like, that doesn't ignite my soul. Maybe at a younger stage in my life, I'm looking for something authentic, for something that looks, that moves me. And the experience of Kabbalah Satar, my own, I think I was able to learn with some of the night, and we sat and we learned a beautiful sugya. And then just to be part of a base medrash of people tapping into Torah, to limit Torah to a celebration. Rai Shapiro Shiurim, the two Shiurim that he gave was something that I very much connected to and appreciated what Rai Shapiro, the teaching that Rai Shapiro taught us. So really I want to thank the guys for being incredible, honest, good people. There's not a group I'd rather be with for a yamtiv, so I thank the guys very, very much for that. I want to introduce Rai Sanshan when he's not here. He's coming in about a minute, he's a minute away. I want to say in a straight way, I'm not a big guy into question answers. I usually, to say it blunt, detest it. Because I find it to be very contrived, questions that are forced and answers that are more forced. Right? Sanichai, to me, is the one, I'm coming today, not like, I hope the guys hear him, I want to hear him. In America, it would not be an exaggeration. I'm sitting in front of an Aaron Kaidish. This is a shul that's very important to me. And I want to say that in America, there are not 10 people that are more involved. I don't think it's any exaggeration. There are not 10 people in the entire country. There are millions of Yidin that are more active in the issues of the day. I don't, it's a hard to rate. Are there 10 people that are more busy with the issues? Marriages, Susfesh and Klai Yisrael, addiction, therapy, 
These are areas people come to Rai Sunshine. He is the Rosh, one of the Rosh Yeshivas of Landers in Queens, and he's the Rav of Waterbury. People from Lake would come here. Couples come to do therapy by him. Families, people, all different people. He's somebody who's massively involved in helping Klal Yisrael. What's amazing, two of our Rebbeim, our Talmidim, Rabbi Wisnicki and Rabbi Shapiro, our Talmidim of Rabbi Sunshine, I consider myself a Talmud Chaver, a friend and a student of Rai Sunshine. He's somebody who's an intellectual heavyweight. He's an intellectual heavyweight. I'm not saying this in front of him. It wouldn't be appropriate. He's an intellectual heavyweight. If you know him, he's one of the most open-minded, honest people I've ever met. There's no agenda today. And by the way, I, I have not been zeichet to sit with him in Q&A here since last year. He's somebody who constantly updating. He reads a lot, both Chachmas Hagayim, secular knowledge he's tremendously proficient in, and Lahavdo Chachmas He's somebody who's constantly thinking and updating. The, I find him to be an honest seeker of truth. And the Q&A with him, he's, I think, amazing at it because there's no agenda. He only has an agenda. He'll think with us. I'm excited to hear his latest thoughts. I want to say specifically that on marriage, really I had it sad just to ask him speak about marriage. Everybody here, Be'ez Hashem, will build a home. He is somebody who deals with the nyanim of marriage a lot. I'd love to hear his honest opinion of some of the challenges and things we can go in with our eyes open on marriage in Yanim, building a home, what are some of the difficulties, and what you and I can do in our own lives and our own homes, that he sees somebody who's on the front lines of a lot of these issues. So I would love him, I'd love to hear him about that. But I say that, like to me, what I want to access to guys in Yeshiva, I was called up by a world-famous speaker two weeks ago, and he said, I'd like to come to the yeshiva to speak. I did not say it meanly. I thought of an excuse. Very, it's very personal to me. I want sincere, authentic people to speak. But I don't just open the floor to anybody. This week, we're going to have this chus. Today, we'll hear from our sunshine in, in a matter of moments. On Tuesday, a yid is coming. A yid who grew up in, I think, a shtickle chasidish home. And this Yid was a, grew up in a very poor home. He's a very, very wealthy man today. But not, he's wealthy, that's a cool fact. But he actually helps people in financial ways. He teaches people how to make money. He's coming to Yeshiva on Tuesday. His name's Rav Yaakov Horowitz. Fascinating Yid. He's going to come on Tuesday at... at um, his name is Yaakov Horowitz, coming Tuesday at 3 o'clock to speak to the whole Yeshiva. I think he'll be fascinated. He's an honest person. He's a very tired dicker person, so we'll get to him Tuesday. But it's my zechus, Rai Sunshine is here. Um, it's really a zechus that we have to hear, Rai Sunshine. <laughs> I think every speaker there should be two introductions the introduction when the speaker is not here and the introduction when the speaker is here so we were yaitza the part when the rub wasn't here I want to I wanna, to welcome to say right sunshine's a speaker here 
Rebbeim in the Masifta, all of us, Rais Sunshine has taught in the Masifta, and Rais Sunshine is the Rebbe of many of the Rebbeim in the Masifta. So he doesn't, he's not, we're not having like an outsider here come speak. I could say just, I was driving with Maymay and some of the Chevra in the car. My thoughts today weren't like, I hope the Chevra like comes. I did hope the Chevra, my thoughts were, I'm excited to, my thoughts are and were, I'm excited to hear. And to hear somebody who assists many in areas that are important to us. And somebody who's, who's, who's knowledge and understanding both from Chachmas HaTorah and from Chachmas, the Chachma that's out there is knowledge of areas of growth, of development, of building homes, of building beautiful Torah homes. His knowledge of these areas has, I've been impacted, Rebbein and the Masifta have been impacted, and I want the guys to get to hear from this, from Rai Sunshine's knowledge. I told the guys that I had a tzadti to do Q&A or to ask to speak about marriage-related things. It could be a lot of times with Q&A, it goes that mm-hmm. way anyway, so... That's, that's, that's what I want to say. Without further ado, I want to thank Rai Sunshine. His time is precious, and I appreciate Rai Sunshine giving us this time. Mm-hmm. I want to thank Rai Sunshine and welcome you here. Shkaya, thank you. First, tell me how Yantif was. Rai Sunshine asked about the Yantif. I, Erev Yantiv spoke about Rai Sunshine's speech about the Eni Rusha, the steering Gemaras, and the, the Mishnah and Aves to the, to the Gemara and Ksubis we learned inside. And to describe our Yantiv, I feel that people stake the claim to that which mm-hmm. is ours. I thought all around the base Medrash, you saw people claiming what's ours. Understanding that it's a Yerush, my Rasha Kilas Yaakov, it belongs to us. There's work to be done. <laughs> but I saw people staking a claim to what's ours. We, we always welcome people with song. We'll sing Hashem Rachmim, but then we're getting right to the Q&A. We don't have Arya here to start it. So I ask Mechila. I'll start Hashem Rachmim, but then we're getting right to the Q&A. Hashem Rachmim the
challenge in being here because in order to do what I feel like is the only thing worth doing here, I have to be able to feel very, very, very comfortable. And I'm looking around the room and I see a lot of familiar faces, but I also see a lot of unfamiliar faces. And the way that I'm going into it is like this. Like I'll give you an example. I have a bunch of step-siblings. My father is remarried. I have a bunch of step-siblings. We, we enjoy each other's company, but we don't see each other too often. When we do, we have a great time schmoozing about our parents, and, we, and we, we know them well, even though we don't know each other so well. So that's how I'm looking at this crowd. If this is a crowd, if this is a Rabbi Kalish crowd, a Rabbi Zone crowd, a Rabbi Glazer crowd... Rabbi Shapiro crowd and all the other faces here. So we're in the same family. So I may not know you specifically, but I'm going to go with the assumption that we're in the same family. Okay. So Q&A we should do? Okay. Um, I usually do all kinds of introductions to the Q&A, but I think I'm going to skip that today. I think we already established that we know each other, so... So we'll jump right in. Where, where do we begin, Rabbi Isai? Rabbi Eli, you might have to jump in. <laughs> <laughs> There's some nachshins here. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, as much as important as to get like, validation from other people, what are the tips to like, build your own self-confidence, your self-esteem? Um, that's, a, that's a very good question. It, as much as it's important to get validation from other people, how do you build your own, your own self-confidence? The truth is, ultimately, ultimately, I don't know how important it is to get validation from other people, ultimately. But we need to get healthy and strong, and, 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 and for, for that journey, it makes a big, big, big difference to us, and it makes us healthier if we have, uh, if we have validation from other people. I want to tell you uh, about a letter that I have sitting on my desk. That's the first thing that comes to mind. And then I'm going to tell you something that I thought of yesterday, because I'm also struggling with that. On my desk is a letter from, from Riff Cook, Zechot Sadik Lebracha. You said over the letter? Oh. So in the letter, Rav Cook, as some of you might know, Rav Cook was a very, very controversial, quote-unquote controversial tzaddik. He was a massive tzaddik and kadosh and Talmud Chacham. And because of that, it's very, very gishmak to read his letters because you see not just the incredible, incredible depth of his learning, but you also see how he handled criticism, which is interesting, to watch someone under fire. 
And apparently there was a Heilige older Yid in Eretz Yisrael that wrote him a scathing letter because a magazine article had been written about him. And the article apparently, I never saw the article, but the article apparently said things that this tzaddik thought were very offensive. And he wrote to Rav Cook, I didn't see his letter either, but he wrote to Rav Cook a very, 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 apparently a very scathing letter. So Rav Cook, and just, I'm, I'm gonna, there's a lot in the letter, but I'm going to focus on what's relevant to your question, okay? The, Rav Cook writes like this. He writes, Be'etzim, I was planning on not responding to your letter. Not in a mean way, just because, like, this, what's the point? What, what, why, like, what, why, he's not a Balmachlaikis, okay, you said your point, I hear. He said, but I was thinking to myself that there's a tzaddik in Yerushalayim that's in pain because of me. If you wrote a letter so angry at me, you must be in pain. And I push and feel terrible for your pain. So I want to write you back, and I'm a good guy, just so that you shouldn't be so upset. And he writes a lot about his Seder Achayim, and what he does, and how he reaches out to people, and how he's mechanech, and a beautiful, beautiful letter. And then as he gets further into the letter, he says, listen, I want to tell you something, and this is, listen to this carefully. He says, as I've become introduced to the inner world of the Torah, I stopped needing people's compliments. That's what he says. And he says, but Mimela, I also stopped caring about their criticisms. Now stop, let's freeze that moment. How much Chachma is in that statement? Let's go backwards. First of all, isn't the same person that needs someone's compliment the person that's destroyed from someone's criticism? And if we could learn to be independent enough that I don't need you to pat me on the back, that it also makes you not really able to, to throw verbal uh, weapons at me. Right? That's first of all. But second of all, what Rav Cook is saying, that if I could build my own inner world, then I, I, you know, that we could be very good friends, but I don't need you anymore. I don't need you to boost my ego. If I could build my inner world, and that's been like a big mission for me, if I could be comfortable myself, that I have a mahalach of how I, my relationship with Hashem, my relationship with myself, I feel good about the fact that I'm on a path, so then, then I, don't need, I don't need your compliments and I don't care about your criticism. So I feel that you want to know how do you, how do you grow to, to not need people's compliments, to not need that validation, just keep focusing on building what's inside. And Mimela will fall away, it'll stop being so important what other people say, because I know I'm someone. I'm a formidable person. And I know that and I feel that and I no longer... And the, what the headlines say about me is no longer so important. But the truth is that I was thinking about this yesterday. Because I went through a journey myself with this. You know, when, you, when, you're, when you're in the public eye also, you get a lot of practice in dealing with what people say about you. So I was thinking about this. I have a list on my, on my phone. I have a list. A very, very private list. I'm the only one that ever saw it. But I have a list on my phone of things that I like to remind myself of every day. And one of those things, it's funny, by these Q&As you find out things you never know. <laughs> um, one of those things is, one of those lines that I have written to myself is I can't be concerned with what others think. So let me tell you a little bit about that because that's very important. 
I realized, I was thinking about this yesterday because there's a reason I wrote it down, because it weighs on me. I realized that one of the, I'm just going to be blunt, one of the stupidest things that I did over the years was that I didn't realize that I'm a smart guy. I didn't realize it. And I very often took advice and shitas and ideas from people who were just louder than me and I accepted them as the truth to my own detriment. I hurt myself in the process. Part of what makes me able to not care what other people say and not need other people's pat on the back is to trust myself. I need to trust me. You know, like, I, you, know, like you, ever, you ever hear something, I'm not talking about it here, but you ever hear something in the world and you say to yourself, that's not right. That is not right. And um, I was by uh, Shabbaton a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and there was a speaker there by Shal Shudas. My son, Yax, was sitting in the back, and he knew I would pick on him at some point. He was sitting there. The speaker said a story. And I give him credit. He stood up and walked out. He said a story about Rav Shach hurting his... Uh, The speaker didn't realize, it wasn't like a public macha, but we in the family, we were like, oops, Yax is gone. We expected that, you know. Then we had a conversation after. What I respect about it is that he has, as much as of course he has to learn from other people, especially his father, as much as of course that's true, but, and there's a lot to gain as life goes, and we want to be open-minded and listen to things, of course that's true, but we have to have this inner compass, like, no, that's I, I don't have to be able to put it into words to say that's, that's just not right. It's just not right. And, and I, I was realizing in myself, I was mamish thinking about this yesterday, that the, the confidence is not confidence that I'm a great guy. It's confidence that I know what's right for me. It's confidence that what I'm seeing, that what I'm feeling is accurate. And if I could do that... Mimela, a lot of this silliness will, will fade away. And I've had a lot of good experiences when I followed that rule and a lot of silly experiences when I haven't. We'll leave it at that for now. What else have I say? Um, it's, it's kind of um, a question coming off of an assumption. Um, I guess the assumption would be that self-expression is expression to the world. But how does a yeshiva guy necessarily balance um, self-expression to the world and also having Messias life? Um, Okay, so first of all, I love the way you started the question, that you're saying an assumption and then a question, because you basically just punctured a hole in the entire world's way of communicating. Because if you ever listen to a, have you ever listened to a, an interview like from a reporter or a, or, a, or a talk show or something? So what they do is, it's very, very sneaky. What they do is they do the exact opposite of what you just did. They make assumptions and they build questions on the assumptions. And most people that are listening to a question, you know, like, like what are you planning on doing about this situation? So it's like, oh, I'm planning on doing, well, who said you should do anything? Who said there's a situation? Right? So first of all, Yashikaya, for that clarity, it'll be, very, uh, it'll be very good for you moving forward. Because if you could recognize it in yourself, you'll recognize it in someone else. That's, that's, that's fantastic. 
self-expression, self-expression, I don't think is a, is a statement that, that has one meaning. Let me tell you what I mean. I don't think that there's an independent value of self-expression. I think everyone's different. And I think that there are two things that make me have to self-express. One is if I'm being made to feel uncomfortable or the opposite of, of who I am. If I'm in a place or I'm in a situation where I feel like I'm being twisted. You know what I mean? Where you feel like you just like... You, you ever walk out of a, a meeting or something and you feel like you should have to like stretch out because you just felt like you were just crammed in, emotionally just crammed in. So self-expression a lot of times, Rabbi Kalish has heard me, uh, unfortunately, Rabbi Kalish has heard me be very, very obnoxious by meeting sometimes because of that. Because he's better meetist than me, but, but, but because of that. In other words, a lot of times self-expression is, I don't like the way you're making me feel. I don't like what you're making me do. I don't like how I'm contorting myself to, to, it's like um, a lot of times exactly the opposite of the way you started your, your question. A lot of times when people, even when people are speaking in public, they, at least I have this, that they start making you feel a certain way. And sometimes you just feel like, I just, I, 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 I just have to express myself, you know? You know like I, I, I can't just keep getting twisted like that. That's one area. And the other area is when I have something to teach the world. And when I have something to teach the world, that's very complicated, but sometimes it could be because I've experienced something that I feel has given me so much goodness and I want to share that with the world. So that's a, that's a, a, a valuable thing. But in no way is a stira to building an inner world. It's not a stira at all. The point of self-expression is not that you don't have a filter. The point of self-expression is that I'm not trapped in here. That's more than a kuda. When people are trapped, it's very dangerous. And we've seen, Kalish and I have seen people in, in, in very intense places and in very non-intense places, and they're trapped either by a, a hashkafa or they're trapped by the type of friends that they're surrounded by, whatever it might be, but they're trapped. So to me, self-expression is not the value. The value is don't be trapped. Okay? Good questions. Yeah. What do you feel is the balance between... I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get a view of you sober. One second. <laughs> uh, what do you feel like... We spend Purim together. No, uh, <laughs> uh, what do you feel is the balance between something, whether good or bad, is like, oh, Hashem did that, Hashem's credit for that, whether it's good or bad, or... I have to do my shot. Oh, it was Nikki came in for this question. Okay, start over. What is, you feel, the balance between, for, for both good and bad, um, between something as Hashem's credit, or Hashem did it, that kind of thing, versus it was on me, my shot was up to me. Okay, this is a. What was the question? 
Just a just a light nothing question. <laughs> just like an easy question and involves like the hardest principles of Ashkafa. Um, where, when do you say, basically in one sentence, his question is, when do you look at things going on or things happening in, in your life and say, this is, this is what Hashem, this is either thanks to Hashem or this is what Hashem did, and when do I say this is on me? I made bad choices or I made good choices. Okay, so I'm going to do what I can in a short, I'm going to give myself maybe three minutes, okay, because we have to keep moving. But we can, it could be like a good, a good beginning of like, like the title of the book and then we'll have to fill in the book, okay? Um, the truth is that everything in life is a very, very complicated mixture of both. That's what the Svarim teach. So that means that when I do something, I get a certain amount of credit for what I did, but I couldn't do it without Hashem. When I make a mistake, that's on me, but also Hashem sometimes puts me in the situation that I make mistakes. And so on and so forth. And I don't, want to, I don't want to get distracted by the philosophy part of the question because the way you asked your question was very practically. Okay, bottom line. Um, I'm going to tell you practically. At least I'll tell you how I go get through the day. Okay? The way I get through the day is like this. What brought me right here was Hashem. Hashem brought me here. I'm facing this Nisayan, I'm facing this thing, I have this incredible opportunity, I'm able to, to go on this amazing trip, I'm able to sit with this amazing Rebbe, those are opportunities Hashem gave that to me. I'm in a difficult situation, my family has its struggles, I have my, whatever it is, anxiety, depression, whatever issues I might have, um, I, I'm not feeling well, I'm physically not feeling well, whatever the thing might be, all those things, Hashem put me here. The choice that's right in front of me, the cho- in other words, how I got to be in a situation to make this choice, I'm not wasting my time with that. Okay? Things will happen. What? Things, Things will happen. happen and it's very complicated. I'm not saying that it's totally not my thing and I'm not saying it's totally um, Hashem. With the- I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, practically speaking, right now it's 2.38 and I am, and I am sitting here in the Blue Ridge Shul and we're schmoozing. I'm not thinking about how I got here. I'm just, I'm here. What's up, what's on me, is the choices that I make right now. How engaged I am, how vulnerable I make myself, how honest will I be, that's on me right now. However, when I get home, I'm going to look back, and it's not going to be on me anymore. I want to explain what I mean by that. I don't mean that if I do an Aveir, I won't do Chuba. I won't mean that I won't try to fix things. If I did, made a mistake and I could fix it, that I won't try to fix it. But I won't get caught up in a past that I can't change. I'm not going to get caught up. I'm going to just say when I get home, okay, now I'm here. And now this choice is on me. Revolva has an amazing thing. In the second Chelek, Alei Shur, he has an amazing thing where he talks about bitachin. Bitachin, everything is in the hands of Hashem. And he start, he mums, you could hear, you ever read something and you hear the person screaming? You could hear him screaming in the Sefer. He says, people sometimes will say, oh, we need Siyata Deshmaya, when they're not ready to get the job done. And he says, it's a, it's a thing that sometimes if you hear people say, no, no, we need Siyata Deshmaya. A lot of times that's really a way of saying, I'm not planning on doing anything about this. Or I'm not ready to get the work done. He says, stop saying we need Siyat HaDashmaya, roll up your sleeves and get the job done. 
So there is that sense of like, no, this is on me. But what's on me? What's on me? Now it's 2.39. What's on me is what happens at 2.39. What happened at 2.38 when we were talking a minute ago? That's history. Here there was a decision that you made. Right, but I can't... Again, I'm not getting into the hashkafa of it, but I can't tie my life up into a pretzel where I spend my whole life saying, how did I wind up here? I'm, I'm, I'm 49 years old. You know how many decisions led to the decisions that led to the decisions that brought me here today? If I'm going to start trying to pull all of that back, I'm telling you, you guys will be visiting me in an institution and I will be drool coming down my chin. Okay? I cannot operate that way. The way I could operate, you want to know practically, is that I have decisions to make. You know what's on me? What's on me? <coughs> 2.40. That's on me. Okay? That's a... Yeah, Rabbi said. Go ahead. My name is Zach Bernal. Rosh Kira is my Rebbe. And I know you're Rosh Kira's Rebbe. So that sort of makes you my Rebbe. First of all, I hope that Rabbi Shapiro is having as much fun with you as I am with him. <laughs> it looks like the answer is yes. <laughs> um, someone who had bad experiences with learning and wants to be able to, to attach themselves to the world of learning and they don't know how to do that because they feel blocked by their bad experiences. Is that the... Okay, there's a lot to say about that, but one of my favorite approaches to this, to this challenge... Um, In many ways, in many ways, I think that we need to try to approach learning from a different door. We can't keep going in through the same door. In other words, if I had a bad experience, okay, this, the, the reason why the question is complicated is because sometimes our bad experiences are our bad experiences, and sometimes our bad experiences are things that unfortunately we've witnessed or experienced that other people have done. So that, you know, or, or an environment that other people created. So that, that's where it gets very, it, that's, that's why I'm going to answer you one answer, but it's not going to be the fullest answer, okay? But one answer is come in differently. And what I mean by that is very practical and also has to do with what you're learning. I think that there's a certain way that we were taught to learn at, a certain, at different ages. And I think that one of the things that we need to do if we want to chart a new path is to realize that Torah is so broad and it allows for the thought process and the, and the interests and, the, and the, the personalities of so many different kinds of people that you... The Torah could tell me that it's very important to learn Torah. The Torah does not tell me how to learn Torah. In fact, the Torah says, A person needs to learn what they, what they enjoy. I connect the Torah through what I enjoy. So 
So the first thing that I would say if someone had a bad experience, I had this, it's so interesting we're talking about this, because next year in, in the yeshiva that I teach in, next year we're learning Masech the Kedushin. And I remember the last time when I taught Kedushin in, in Waterbury, so I remember I, I made two um, executive decisions for myself and for my share because I, um, because I, I, I just wasn't feeling, when I thought of Kedushin for whatever reason, I wasn't feeling this huge urge to roll up my sleeves and get into it. So, first of all, I started from a different place in the Masechta. I didn't want to do the Rashis on the Mishnah again. I just didn't want to do that again. So I skipped to, to Dafhe. I started from Dafhe. So, so, in other words, I, I, I allowed myself to, yeah, when you start Kedushin, you start from, no, I'm going to start from what's interesting to me. I took my whole shear with me. I just remembered this because a few days ago I took out my notes on Kedushin and I see that, hey, I'm like, we are not to stop things. No, it wasn't there. But the second thing, which was even more fun, and I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just giving you an example in my life and just so you understand what I mean. So, on that view, Dalit Amit Beis, I think Amit Beis starts, Avadim? On that view, Dalit Amit Beis starts a sugi about Avadim, about servants. And... It's a, it's a very, very, very enjoyable sugya. But when I was sitting down one summer to learn Avodah, I did not have an interest in starting that Mishnah. I don't know why, but maybe it was something that happened the last time I was learning it. Maybe it was something upsetting. I don't know why, but I just wasn't feeling like doing that. So I decided instead I'm not going to learn Gemara Avodah. I'm going to learn Rambam Hilchas Avodah. Call me a Lubavitcher for this, uh, for this summer. I'm learning Rambam. Of course, while I was learning the Rambam, I ended up seeing most of the Gemaras. But I couldn't go through that door. I needed to find a different door for myself. And I did that. I found a different door. I have on my computer now notes on Rambam, Hilkos, Avodim. I don't have any notes on the Gemara, but I have notes on the Rambam, Hilkos, Avodim. But it's not just that. It's that I feel like we were taught to learn a certain way like with a certain seriousness, like we have to scrunch our face a certain way. You know what I mean? Like, like I once had a chavrusa that he spent much more time laughing than he did being serious, and I learned a lot from that chavrusa. And I later found out, by the way, that his mother was deathly ill and his father-in-law was in jail. It was like no coincidence to me that he was being successful in learning by just enjoying learning. Just enjoy. He, he would, he would, he, when he learned the good svara, he would move his head back. I still remember, and he would start shaking his hands, like as if he was like, like as if he was getting like a massage. You know, he just like looked like he was like experiencing pleasure. He went into it differently. He used to show up at the table with a bowl with a few ragalach in it and a cup of coffee. You know, like in a great mood. And when I first started learning with him, I was like, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to teach this guy how to learn. I soon discovered that I basically sat there like a Talmud in front of his Rebbe, learning from this guy. He was my Chavrusa, but he really was my Rebbe. But he came in through a different door. You see what I mean? A different door personality-wise, a different door... Well, I'm sorry? Different perspective. Different perspective. And also, like, I don't like, I don't like when people ask questions. I, I get caught in this sometimes. People ask questions and people are like, that's not the type of question that you should be asking. Don't listen to that. It's your question. It's your question. So it's the question that the Torah wants from you. This is your Torah. It's, your, it's who you are. I, don't, I, I, have, I have a certain type of weird mind. 
When I learn sugyas, I find myself interested in weird parts of the sugyas sometimes. I used to be embarrassed about it. It's time to stop being embarrassed. This is who I, this is my approach to learning. If Hashem wanted me to be you, Hashem would have made me you. But He didn't. He wanted me to be, there are no copies. Okay, at least that's a, that's a starting point. Yeah. Every single yeah, the only yuntif, the only one that's similar in some way is Shmini Atzeres, right? It's the only one that's similar, and the, the answer is similar also. The 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 answer is that each mitzvah is like, like for example, there are two hundred and forty-eight mitzvahs, and there are two hundred and forty-eight limbs in a person's body. So each mitzvah is like another. So there's one mitzvah that's connected this finger, and one mitzvah that's connected this finger, right? Tyra is like my blood. It goes through all parts of my body. It encompasses everything. That's why if you're learning sometimes, you'll see the Gemara asks a kasha from one area of Shas. And like this, the Gemara will ask a kasha on it from a totally different area of Shas, as if all the areas of Shas are connected. You know why? Because they are connected. Because the whole Torah is one thing that encompasses everything. So you're, on Pesach, you're doing the Pesach part. Maybe that's the, uh, the shoulder, I don't know. On Sukkot, the Lulav and Esrig, that's another part. The Sukkah, that's another part. The Shaifer on Rosh Hashanah, that's another part. The Menorah on Hanukkah, that's another part. The Megillah on Purim, that's another part. But Shavuos, this is the blood flow to the entire body. So that's why if I took a specific thing, I would almost be limiting it. Okay? Shkaya for that. No, that's... Yeah. When you start off your days like in the morning, so I find out for myself. I First of all, you just said a big chid. Did you start off your days in the morning? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess, like, a complex question. I guess a lot of different parts. I find out for myself, I start off with, like, I'm going to days viewing, like, these are my goals that I want to accomplish. It, I want to do ABCD, whatever. And these are the things, this or whatever I have to do that I'm trying to get done. So, A, is that the right way to go into a day versus to go into a day like, okay, you know, I'll see what I'm going to start from here, I'll see what happens. It's supposed to be focused, like, like, like this is what I want to get done. And if that's true, then what's the balance supposed to be between how you react when you get things done and you don't get things done? Because you feel, if you don't oh get boy. To make those goals, then you're supposed to, like, just like in general, like, what's the, the day-to-day life, what's the focus supposed to have walking through? Okay, this is a huge, huge topic. Um... I'm going to tell you a few, a few reactions to your question, okay? But this is like, like this type of time management and getting things done. First of all, there's so many different personalities, and they certainly have different ways of doing it. But and your question says a lot about your personality. Let me put it that way. Good things. I have the same, I deal with the same questions. Okay? So, first of all, this is very important. When you said, should I go in with a list of things, or should I say, let's see what Hashem has in store for me today? Those things are not a steer. That's what it's very important to know. When, if you're a list person, and like I am, 
I woke up this morning, I worked out my list, I had 31 things I needed to do today, okay? I'm not gonna do all of them, but, but I had 31 things I needed to do today, okay? So, and then Rebecca was called and asked me to come here, so I had to cross a bunch <laughs> off. But, but when, I, when, I, when I do that, I try, I try that my attitude is, these are the 31 things that I think I'm supposed to be doing today. But very often I'll get a phone call that someone in my family needs me or someone in my kahila needs me or one of my talmidim need me and then apparently there was a different plan for the day. And, and, and that's all. We have to go in. We, we're not telling Hashem what to do but we're also not saying I'm sitting back and twiddling my thumbs and waiting for Hashem to make something fall onto my head. I'm making a plan but every plan I make is my tentative plan for the day. What I think I'll be doing today. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu has in store that could be anything. I could wind up on the moon tonight for all I know. I have no idea. That's, that's open. Okay? That's one Nakuda that's important. The other thing in terms of making a list of things that you want to get done today or a bunch of things to check off is that you have to be very, very, very careful that you don't consider yourself a robot. You are not the same guy on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, and on Thursday. You're different guys. Sometimes you might be more energetic. Sometimes you might be in a, a little upset about the comment someone made. Sometimes you might have a little hang-up because of something going on at home. Sometimes you might be super energized because your Rebbe said something and it pushed just the right buttons and it started your engines. You can't just make a list as if you're feeding it into a computer. You're not a computer. So I think it's important to the beginning of the day to try to learn how to get a sense of what kind of day it is. Because you're not a robot. Maybe today's a slow day. Maybe today's an a, a intense day. You have to see. I've had days that I get done like seven things. I have a list on my phone. I get done seven things, eight things. And I've had days, like Erev Yontif, I got up to 40 things. Because like it was like before Shavuos that I was like running from one thing to the next and, and the things on my list weren't taking take as long. I was like, I felt like, wow, like I'm superhuman. 31, 32, 33. You know, and I, and I push the button on my phone and it makes that great noise. By the way, when I click it off, it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm saying, if I got a slice of pizza for everything I did, I would not be as excited as when I hear that, that noise, you know, that I got the thing done. So, so it's very important. And Bechlau, this is Nagea for everyone, even if, you're not, even if you're not a list person, it's very important. I had this a few times. This time of year, Rabbeim have the pleasure of guys coming over and saying that things are going well. More this time of year than in the beginning of the year, no? Things start picking up. So I've had that also a couple of times over the last few weeks that Talmidim came over and they're like, Baruch Hashem, everything's going great, Rebbe. What should I do? And it's a delicate thing because you don't want to say, eh, don't worry, it won't be going great forever. You don't want to say that, right? But really, seriously, we're human beings. Does things always go great? Is that the reality of life? No. So while I'm doing great, I tell myself, it's normal to have ups and downs. I want to plan for plan B also. I want to plan for when I don't have this energy. Because I could wake up tomorrow morning and not have this energy. And if I have no plan for that, so then I'm just falling off a cliff. Then I have no... Here I was, I thought I was on fire. I went to Seder, and my Rebbe said something, and I asked the Kasha, and he told me it was Taisus' Kasha. I can't believe it. I'm on fire. I'm the next God Ador. I'm on fire. Okay? And then you wake up the next day, and you know how it goes. I can't find my Gemara. Forget about it. Forget about Shir. I can't find my Gemara. Okay? I don't remember what Masechta we're learning. You know, like, you know, it's like one of those days. 
I don't have a plan for that day. So if you're, if you're a list person like I am, I just gave you a few layers to play around with. Okay? Okay. Yeah. Good question. Um, as people get older, more mature, and they move to their own paths, a lot of people are stuck with certain friends that you, they know pull them down. What's the proper way to approach that with the person to person? Okay, I'm going to tell you something that's. Um, I'm going to tell you the real answer, okay? Because all the Rebbe answers you know. Good friends and bad friends and all of that. So I'm going to tell you the real answer, okay? And the real answer is going to, have, is going to make, mean that you're going to have a lot of thinking to do, okay? This is the real answer. I have friends that bring me down. I have a hard time pulling myself away from them. Why? Doesn't make sense. I'll tell you why. Because I am not a black or white person. I am not a good or bad person. I'm a person that's very complicated. So, for example, I'll tell you about me. I have friends that are big hackers that love schmoozing about all the politics going on. I very strongly, as you could ask my Talmudim, I'm very strongly against that. I don't get involved with this stuff at all. Why do I keep schmoozing with those friends? What's wrong with me? Why do I keep doing that? It's not enough to say, yeah, friends, I have a hard time. It's not enough. The answer is, the answer must be, I'll give you, I'm going to give you a great marshal to the answer, okay? I, I spoke to a guy in yeshiva a few, a few days ago. He told me that he was working in a camp in the summer and he met a very nice girl. And he was, and he, you know, nothing really started between them, but he was very, very, very impressed with her. And he's already at an age that it's time to start thinking about dating. And he told me, and this is like, you would think this is a, like, like not an easy thing to say to a Rebbe. He told me he thinks he's made many decisions this year based on this girl who he hasn't spoken to since the summer and doesn't know if he'll ever speak to again. And he was like, that's weird, right? Like, they don't have a relationship. Like, she's like, maybe one day I'll date her. May, like, and maybe not. Like, like, and, and he comes from, from, from a, one state. She lives across the country. Like, why, why? That's what he was telling me. So I told him, this has nothing to do with that girl. That girl awakened in him a certain part of himself. He's been making decisions because he discovered a part of himself that has certain values and certain things that he wants. And the same thing is true with friends. When you have quote-unquote bad friends, forget about the friends. That's not the area to work on. The area to work on is what is it about me that makes me feel good with them? And I'm not saying this to put a gun to my head. I have to work with myself. I have to recognize. I have this. I have these guys. Apparently, with all of my speeches about not liking politics... I'm embarrassed to say, but apparently there's a part of me that's sometimes a little bit interested in what's, what's going on. Apparently. Because if it wasn't, I, I wouldn't talk to, to these guys. So I think when you have an issue with friends, it's not the friend's fault. We love to beat on the friends. It's not out there, it's in here. It's like that Rav Kuka we were talking about. It's what's going on in here. What is it about me that's pulling me. In other words, even if I'm pulling my life together and I want to do the right thing and these guys are partying, so these are my bad friends. No. There's a, still a partier inside of you. 
he's still there. And you'd be very wise and very intelligent to pay attention to him. Because if you don't, he could sometimes wreak havoc on your life. <coughs> it's Kedai to be Makir, the me that likes those friends. Get to know him. Don't make him into the enemy. He's not the enemy. Get to know him. Become friends with him. And schmooze with that part of yourself. And say, hey, you know, apparently we still like a good party. Why? What do we gain from it? Do we realize why it's not good? And have a conversation with yourself. You'll see the friends issue will work itself out. (coughs) Not from you, please, not from you. Yeah. One second. You asked something already? Okay, so let me just, I just want to get as many people. I'm happy that you're still asking questions. Go ahead. Um, how does one balance, say, throwing in what's comfortable and what feels right with him and feeling better about himself? And if he feels comfortable, it's like, I think that we have to do what we've got to do. How does it balance what's comfortable and what then we've got to do? Do you have an example? I know it's hard. I hate being asked for examples too. What? You're asking like, I'll I'll give you two choices. You tell me A or B, okay? I'll give you two choices. You tell me A or B. Do you mean how much should I stay in my comfort zone and how much should I push myself out of my comfort zone? Like let's say I'm quiet by nature, so how much should I push myself to interact with people, like things like that, A. Or B, let's say when it comes to Yiddishkeit or responsibilities, where I'm comfortable doing this, how far do I have to push myself to do the things that I don't necessarily feel ready to do right now? A or B? B, okay. I'm glad I asked. I was about to answer A. Okay. very, very difficult question to answer and even more difficult to answer in public because it's very hard. We had this when we, when we did a Q&A last year as well, this type of question of like, well, there's a Shulchan Aruch on the shelf somewhere. Where is it? There's a Shulchan Aruch over there. You want to know what you have to do? It says it in the air and that's it, period. And there is truth to that. Now that being said, there are people that are simply not ready to do that. And it's not the job of your Abayim, it's not their job, and they never would do that, to judge where a guy is up to. But it's also not, the Rebbe is very rarely going to say, if ever, you don't have to do that. Let's say, put on tefillin or something like that. You don't have to do that. You're not going to get Rabbi Shapiro to say, you, no, you're part of tefillin. But you will get Rabbi Shapiro to say, I'm not judging if you're wearing tefillin or not. Right? Is that accurate? Rabbi really knew the Talmud wasn't very 
not totally perfect forever. But you can't say, don't worry about it. Maybe sometimes you could say, focus on this and not on that. But to say putter, maybe she ask Rabbi Kalish what he thinks. To say putter on something that we're chayiv on, like, that's not the... the what, what is, Rabbi Kalish, what do you think? You say someone's an We could say, in other words, if someone will tell me I don't put on filling, I'll say to myself, maybe he's an onion. But it's very hard for me to... Ju- like, because of your question, actually. Nice to have you back. Okay? Because of your question. Because I, it's very hard for me to judge what's your Bechira, what's... It's very hard to judge. You understand why it becomes like a sensitive question, even though sometimes guys have to make that call for themselves in order to survive. But it's a very... The Rabbeim are in a very, very sensitive place when it comes to that, of, of telling guys what's right and wrong, but never judging what guys... What guys do, okay? So that so I, I don't you know we can you know that's a it's a good private conversation, and but as a like as a matter of our mission in teaching Torah, we can't say Hashem, you said he has to do it. I'm going to use my executive privilege here and say he doesn't have to. I can't do that. That's above my pay grade. Okay, so I'm glad you said that. Many, many, many times when it comes to things that are straight out, that are not straight out mutter asr, then you will have, uh, um, then you and your rabbeim can definitely make a plan, and there your, your question becomes very relevant. So how far do I push myself? That's true. Like there are, there are things that we do, that, like staying up Shuru's night, for example. It's a minhe. Will anyone say you violated late at halacha if you didn't stay up? No. It's a minhe. It's an important minute, whatever, it's a minute. There are things that are minhagim, there are things that are, and there are things that people think are very, very important things, and they're minhagim. And there are things that are halachas, that's true. But, <clears throat> but just getting back, getting back to, the, to the point of your question of like, how do you know how much to push yourself? So, first of all, what we just talked about, I think is a great, I think is a great starting point. Let me find out what I have to do and what I don't have to do. Like you were talking about styles of learning. What about that style? What about, you know what? Instead of telling me all the lumbus, could someone sit down and just tell me what, what do I absolutely have to do? Right, that, that would be, that would be a, an interesting seder for a lot of people. Chayiv or not chayiv? Don't tell me, oh everyone, don't tell me that. Tell me chayiv or not chayiv, I wanna know. That, that's, a, that's a good starting point. Um, but the, and the other thing is, when it comes to doing things, like pushing yourself to do more than you feel like you can, I feel that the real, real, real middle stage of that is to be in touch with yourself and to do it slowly, but to do it in a way that you're being compassionate with yourself. In other words, some, some people think that when it comes to things, even in Torah and Mitzvahs, we just take ourselves by the collar and we push ourselves into it. This is what you have to do, do it. Get the job done right now. You know, like, you know, don't be a baby. Come on, do it. It could work. It could work, but it's not gonna work long term. It's not gonna work long term. An interesting thing is that there are people that do go their whole lives like that, forcing themselves. Rabbi Kalish and I spend our lives feeling bad for those people's children, no? 
even if they manage to do to do that to themselves, the children are wrecks. Okay, because that, that strength comes out in unhealthy ways. If you want to do it right, push yourself when it's the right time in a compassionate way. Encourage yourself. <coughs> Give yourself a break afterwards. Be in touch with yourself, either with somebody else or within yourself, about where you're up to. You know what I mean? Like, in an in a environment of compassion, we can sometimes accomplish a lot more. Okay. I, I hope I'm making the right call by doing short answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay, just, uh, yeah. How, how about that when you, a lot of, obviously, you know, I'm just putting myself on silent. I'm not ignoring you. Yeah. You've been on such a lot, right? I'd say you're a gal, like, born and born, you're a boy, and you're a How do you keep when you, let's say, you're a gal, and then keep walking to see if it's a if someone is only doing it for what he's done? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, so what you're saying is that people that say, I'm going to serve Hashem as much as I, I feel like... What? Right, you're saying that someone who does that, Lamaisa, he's serving Hashem, like in love with Hashem, every time he serves Hashem. Let's, Rabbi Kalish mentioned talking about, uh, talking about marriage. Let's talk about marriage for a minute, okay? Okay? I think it's a very good mashal. And this mashal, some, some of you might have heard from me before because it's my, it's like, it's a, it's a certain, like, I have certain go-to mashalim. But I think that this, I think you'll see that this brings out the point, a, at least a perspective, okay? Like this. A guy, here's my mashal. If you might have heard it before, I apologize if you did, Okay? But a guy, um, a guy is married, and it's, let's say it's, a, um, it's the middle of the night, and his wife is expecting, and women that are expecting could wake up several times in the middle of the night, you know, desperately needing drinks or various interesting kinds of foods. And, um, and she wakes him up, and she says, could you please go downstairs and get me a drink? Okay? Guys, we get the drink or we don't get the drink? What? We get the, you don't get the drink? <laughs> Why don't you get the drink? <laughs> what? You say, get it yourself. What? Okay, so that's... We gotta start from there, no? <laughs> um, okay, you know what? So, you, you know, uh, by the way, what's your first name? Avrami. You have, you have roommates in this room? No. What? Okay. Because I was going to ask them if you ever get up to shut the light. Okay, so... so The truth is, I would really want to ask you a few more questions before I, 
before I zeroed in, but I don't want to. I don't want to forget the the first question I'm coming from. So I'm just going to say something short. If you don't feel like it satisfies it, let me know, okay? Okay. But the the way I understand, the way I understand my responsibilities in a marriage, is there's two parts. I I guess when I'm thinking about it, is first of all when a when a woman is pregnant, she's pregnant with her husband's kid. So saying get it yourself, you know, she could be like have the baby yourself. You know what I mean? So it is only right for him to be at least an equal, it's impossible for him to be an equal partner because he's not going to be in labor. So it's impo- he already loses the equal partner here. She's already doing much more than he'll ever do for this pregnancy. So the least he could do if he is, the least he could do is like, fine, I'll get the drink. Okay, that's first of all. Second of all, to me, that, it's like, it's part of my pride in being a husband. That I look at it as a husband, I take care of my wife. It's part of my pride, it's part of my dignity, that's who I am. I'm a husband, and I take care of my wife. We were, um, we, um, we went away for Shabbos a few weeks ago, so, so uh, we were sitting in the dining room, and they... And they, um, and they put chairs in the front for me and my wife to sit, and then my kids, and then my Talmidim. And, uh, and there was one chair that was a comfortable chair, one chair that was an uncomfortable chair. So my wife told me to take the comfortable <coughs> chair because she felt like in front of my Talmidim, she wanted me to look very dignified. The other chair didn't look quite as dignified. So I told her, no, I'm going to take the uncomfortable chair. So she said, no, 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 everyone's here, whatever, take the comfortable chair. I was like, no, that's more embarrassing for me. Because to me, my pride is, I take good care of my wife, she's my queen. I take care of her. That's my pride, that's my dignity. That's my masculinity. You know what I mean? Like, this is who I am. And if I, if I married her, part of what I decided when I married her is that I'm gonna be a good husband and that's what good husbands do. I'm taking good care of this woman. You understand? So that's why, to me, it's obvious I'm... I'm, uh, I'm getting the drink, okay? But we can, we can talk more about it, okay? Let me get back to, to this question, okay? Um, okay, so, so fine. Okay, we're back, getting the drink? We're getting the drink, okay. So you're walking down the stairs to get the drink. I really gave away my mascona a little bit because we had an emergency over here. Um, so, so um, I, I, but, but anyway, walking down the stairs, I always, ask, I always ask guys, someone taps you on the shoulder, you're halfway down the steps, someone taps you on the shoulder and says, what are you doing? I say, I'm getting my wife a drink. Why? So, and now we're gonna get back to you, okay? So there's one of three answers. Answer number one is, because if I don't, she's going to kill me. That's answer number one. A lot of husbands do it for that reason. It's pathetic. There I agree that it's pathetic. But that's true. Some people will just do it because, they, you know, she'll kill me. Okay, so let's get rid of that reason, okay? There are two other reasons that you might think are valid. Reason number one, because I love her. That's reason number one. Reason number two, because that's what husbands do. Now, if you ask most people, they'll say that the more romantic reason is that I love her, I'm in love, and I want to make her happy. But if you ask me, the more romantic reason is 
That's what husbands do. You know why? Because that's what husbands do applies no matter what I'm feeling. That's what husbands do. It doesn't have to do with my mood. It doesn't have to do what I'm up to. It has to do with, with my identity. It has to do with who I am. And that, do you see the parallel? So that's what I think. It's true. If I just serve Hashem when, when I'm feeling these very sincere feelings, so that's a very, very loving relationship with Hashem. But I'm not just, I'm not just in love with Hashem. I'm loyal to Hashem. My loyalty to Hashem is that even when I'm not in such a romantic mood, I'm going to serve Him. So that's where I think, and I think that's very romantic. Okay, yeah. Short answer, you do not choose the way you feel. Okay, short, that's a short answer. And I think it's very, very, very important because if I had a dollar for every time a Rebbe was asked, Rebbe, is it okay that I feel dot, 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 I would be a very, very wealthy man. And the answer is always the same. Whatever you feel is okay. We, can't, we don't tell people what to feel. And because if we do, I'll get to the fact that the Torah seems to tell us what to feel in a minute. But if we do tell people what to feel, we're creating an almost impossible world. We don't tell people what to, do you agree with that? We don't, we don't tell people what to feel. However, we know that A, our feelings are affected by our thoughts. So my thoughts could change my feelings. Um, Sometimes, I, I can tell you personally, sometimes thinking about certain things about someone could change my feelings towards that person, almost on the spot. Could change my feelings. I want to tell you something. I think, la- I think last year I told you this story because we were in my shul and, I, and it happened there. I don't remember, but I think I said this story. And, and, um, but I want to tell you a, a slight snippet of it that's important, okay? A bunch of years ago, I was, uh, we were by davening Shabbos morning and three guys from Durham came in in the middle of davening and sat down on the back table to daven. Okay? And the three guys that were on the back table were schmoozing. And one of my uh, very, very, very Erlich uh, Balabatim was horrified. And he came over to me and he asked me to throw them out. So... When, when he did that, so I made sure that they, one of them got Hagba, one of them got Glila, you know, whatever. That was my response. So I told him we're not throwing them out. In fact, this same guy once told me, Bechlal, that he thinks we should make it known that if someone wants to talk, that they shouldn't daven by us. And I told him that I'm not willing to do that, even though I was afraid that he's not going to daven by me anymore, but I was ready to make that call. And I want to tell you something, my shul, I try to keep it quiet. You know, Rabbi Kalish and I do not have the same approach in this. Rabbi Kalish, I think very rarely, if ever, will shush in the middle of davening, and I will. But I still 
I still, but it's not because at the core we have the same sheet that we have different styles. But, but, but I, I refuse to do that. But I want to tell you, what, what, why is this relevant to your question? Because for a second, when a guy came over to me and said, look at these guys, could you tell them to leave? If they're going to come just to talk, tell them to leave. For a brief second, I had this feeling, came up for a second, I was like, yeah, look at these guys. I did have that feeling for a second. Okay, and then I thought to myself, three guys woke up in the morning, Shabbos morning, and made a decision to come to shul. Why? Because that's the best place to schmooze? No, they woke up and they came to shul. These are amazing guys. And that thought process, in an instant, changed my feelings. I felt like giving them hugs. I ended up giving them kibudim, because my, my thought process changed my feeling. It's very interesting to think about. Sometimes a person could lash out against you and your first feeling is anger, but then you think about what that person is going through and then your feeling changes from anger to compassion. You can't control your feelings, but you can control your thoughts and your thoughts can change your feelings. That's number one. And number two, a lot of times when you have certain feelings, you know in your mind that it's not an appropriate feeling. You know it. You, my, my derech with that is that I don't fight it. When I'm feeling that way, I, I don't fight it. I'll give you an example. Two days of yantif, okay? Sometimes we have three days of yantif. So I, I, don't, you know, I don't go around announcing this in my shul. I talk about how amazing it is to have yantif for two days. But could I honestly say that I don't have a moment during yantif that it just feels a little too claustrophobic for me? You know, if there would be like some 10-minute breaks on yantif that I wouldn't uh, appreciate that? No, I, I, I get that feeling. I like got a little panicky yunta feeling. I get it sometimes. I don't know if Rabbi Kalish ever got it, but, but I, I, get it, I get it sometimes like this, like, uh, yunta is really lasting very, very long. You know, I get that sometimes. Is that a right or wrong feeling? It's a feeling. I know that it doesn't really reflect my feelings about yunta. I know that it's because I'm tired, that it's because I'm working hard. I know where it comes from. So I'm able to have the feeling, and I can look at it and be like, oh yeah, that feeling. I'm not pushing it away, I'm not pulling it closer, I'm just like, oh. Oh yeah, right, I'm feeling that. You understand what I'm saying? So, yes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives me my feelings. But I could learn how to think thoughts that could develop my feeling, feelings in a positive way, and I also don't have to act on or buy into every feeling. You know, so my two kids are in the back over there. They could be, this morning, this morning I was trying to, I was trying to prepare something because I have to speak by the CM tonight and, and, and they were making noise in the living room. Okay? I was getting, right? Remember I asked you to close the door? Okay? So I, so I was feeling annoyed. I was starting to feel annoyed. Okay? I didn't do anything about it because I was like, what, two kids sitting in a, in a living room shouldn't be carrying on? Of course they should be carrying on. What do I want to live in a morgue? Of course they should. I'm happy they were carrying on. But in the moment, I was feeling annoyed, upset. But I was able to tell myself, okay, yeah, that feeling. This is called the feeling I get when I'm under pressure and I'm having a hard time working. Okay, good feeling. Yax, can you close the door? Done. Feeling over. You understand? So this is some perspective on feelings. We're, we're, what's that? We're... Uh... Yeah, you sure? Yeah. Another hour. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to over overstay my welcome. 
Or like Glazer as a... Uh, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Okay. Um, seems like the yeshiva, and especially going into base measures, there's a big uh, focus on learning the Marvian, delving into the Mar, as opposed to just, you know, learning the um, Kiyas or learning Tanakh, things like that. Why is it that there's a big focus in general in yeshivas to learn Vian, the Marvian? Okay, so first of all, were you in shul the first time? Okay, I might be trying to figure out a question. Okay. I spoke the first night of Yantif about, about toil and learning. And, and the, the point that came out that Rabbi Glazer wants me to say, which I think was a, I think it was geschmack, so thank you for thank you for putting me thank you for backing me into that corner. So we're really not getting into all kinds of hashkafic reasons. The main thing is that each and every one of us is unique, and the more we toil with our own minds, the more our individual uniqueness comes out. That's the piece, right? It doesn't have to be, by the way, bekias, beiyan, tanach. You could be ma'ayin in all of those. So it's not really 100%, 100% accurate. But let's put it this way. What we want to see is not that you're not a recorder. What we want to see is that you're a thinker. Because when you're a thinker, you're engaged with Torah. And when you're engaged with Torah, now you're by the table. We don't need a bunch of MP3 players. We need people that, have, that they bring themselves to the table. And the more eon that a person does, the more thinking a person does, the more that that comes to sit by the table. But anyway, that was a 40-minute schmooze, but, but uh, okay, go ahead. Um, is life just a video game? Like, I'm just trying to get points, or is there something intrinsically that, like, if Hashem could have made it, could do a muscle do when he gets high, or like, there's something intrinsically that you've got Great, 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 great question. Great question. They get better every year, the questions. Um, life is not a video game, okay? Um, let me make two points, okay? The reason I love these questions is because each question, there's no way I can answer it in a half hour, okay? And I love questions like that because those are questions of thinking people. Okay, but I'll, I'm, I'm, I, I like to consider it not answering the question, but reacting to the question, okay? So first of all, I'm going to tell you two differences between a video game and, and Torah life, okay? The first one is not as directly relevant to your question. The second one is. The first one is like this. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I was thinking about this. People like to say, I actually was excited to schmooze with Rabbi Kalish about it, I didn't have a chance, so here's my chance. People like to say, a lot of times Machanchem like to say, that really we need a separate yeshiva for every guy. You ever hear that, that concept? We really need a separate yeshiva for every guy, because you can't make a shir or a yeshiva one size fits all. And be'etzim, every single person needs their own thing. So in a sense, we really, and a lot of times you hear Mechanachim say this, really, we need a separate yeshiva for each person. We can't have that, unfortunately, as if the entire concept of a yeshiva is v'dievet. Okay? So I want to say this. If we would have a separate yeshiva for each guy, 
we would have guys that are scoring a lot of points on the video game, but they would not become people. Because what makes a person develop and become the broad and deep person that he is, is that the things around him are not directly fitting for him 100%. And he needs to expand himself. He needs to make room for his friends in his life. He needs to be able to learn from a Rebbe who maybe has a little bit of a different personality than him. He needs to be able to deal with the challenges that come up when you have a hundred guys in a room, even though, you know, even though it would be easier for him to just have the room to himself, him and his Rebbe, or him and his Gemara maybe. So I just want to point out, and the first thing, life is not a video game because we grow from much more than the specific things that we're doing. We grow from the challenges that we have doing them. We grow from the fact that I could tell from so many of the questions here that we're trying to figure out how to take me and the Torah and bring them together. It's not just checking off boxes, lists or no lists. It's not just checking off boxes, it's, it's how do I do this and how do I deal with it? And how, like he asked, and how, do I, how far do I push myself? And, you know, like, it, it, there's so much more. We grow deeply and broadly. It's not just checking off boxes. I wish, getting back to lists for a second, I wish my lists would be able to have that. Like, you know, like when I, when I woke up on time and I did the things that I'm supposed to do in the morning, my, my thing should be like flashing and jumping, you know. And then when I do the thing that just like takes 10 seconds and I click it off, that my, my phone will just say, okay, cheap shot. I wish that that, that would happen. Because, because it's not a video game. Okay, that's first of all. But the second thing, and getting more specific to your question, there's a lifetime that you could spend learning the meaning of what I'm, like the, the, the depth of, of the headline that I'm giving you. But every single thing that the Torah tells us to do, of course we get points, that our numbers go up because we listen to Hashem. But each thing is part of a godly way of life. There's depth to it, there's meaning to it, there are messages that are embedded in it. And the more that we can connect to the specific things that we do, it's, we become like more spiritually healthy. A person that does more mitzvahs in a healthy way is more spiritually healthy because it, it feeds different parts of his neshama and it feeds different parts of the world. You know, when you do a mitzvah, you're not just taking care of yourself, you're feeding the world with healthiness and vibrancy. And it's in, in, in a certain sense, it's imitating how Hashem himself acts. The Gemara says Hashem wears tefillin, the Gemara says Hashem keeps Shabbos. In a sense, I'm, I'm really acting in a godly way. The challenge is to understand how, that, how that's true. Like, how is when I put on my, my, my tefillin acting godly? How is when I make Kiddush on Shabbos acting godly? How is it when I, you know, when I, when I make a bracha on a food that it's acting godly? What, what's the point? What's the message? And someone like you that has that question, it would be a good idea for you to sit down with a Rebbe and to find out what you could read that fills that, fills that need, that, that ratzayim, to have a sense of the beauty and the depth and, the, and the, the accomplishments of what I'm doing. Don't just play the video game. Okay? Next, okay? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, first of all, my first two reactions when you say Gehenim is number one, I don't want to go there. And number two, I know nothing about it. Okay, I just want to tell, I'm just being honest with you. Um, <coughs> I'm curious. I'm curious. The, the, the question is a, is a very deep question. I'm curious. Um, do you think nobody should go to Gehenna? Let's assume Gehenna. Let's just assume Gehenna means to be punished for something you did wrong when you get up there. I, I don't know that much about it, but do you think nobody should go? What? Is there anybody else here? How many guys here think nobody should go to Gehenna? I thought there'd be some hands. Yax? Why should I go to What? Why should I go to What? What? So, everyone across the board. Jews, Jews, Jews. Okay? Right. I'm not talking about like Hitler, like, you know. What? Oh, I'm not saying there aren't people there. I'm just... What? <laughs> what? No, I want to know if guys feel like they want to go up to Hashem and say Hashem. There's another way. I don't have to do it that way. Okay, but, but punishment. Should there be punishment? I'm imagining Zach putting on a suit and tie and walking into the Kiseyak covered and saying, Hashem, there's another way. You don't have to do it this way. <laughs> so you mean, like, what's the point? So what's the point? That's what you're, is that what you're saying? Like, no, I'm saying also, that, like, what other way would there be? Unless you go back, or they just did not talk about you. Well, I want to tell you something. I identify very strongly with what Zach is saying and what you're saying, I think, as well. That, 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 um, um, how many people, I'm curious, let's, let's ask Robert Kalish a question, okay? Let's ask Robert Kalish a question. He, he didn't have to answer any questions yet today, okay? Robert Kalish, how many Talmudim in the last 20 years became healthy and steigt and strong of the Hashem because they didn't want to go to Gehenna. Probably zero. Probably zero. Wow. is that amazing? The shocking... Are you surprised? <coughs> what? What? 
Yeah, yeah, but I'm, when, I, when I ask Rabbi Kalish about 20 years of Talmudim, we're talking about people that learned and, and, and learned about Gehenim and talk about Gehenim. And... But still, So, wow, we, we can really go in several different directions here, but, but let, 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 let me say this, okay? Um, I find that I give better answers when I try to tell you what I tell myself than when I try to tell you what I think you should hear. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what I tell myself. I tell myself the following. I tell myself like this. Gehenim. Because I'll say there's such a thing called Gehenim. It's not mentioned in the Torah. But Chazal say there's such a thing. I mean, I guess Eirei al Bani Chaim Shaila. I guess it's mentioned there. But like as a concept that there's an Einish like that, it's not mentioned. Um, okay, but Chazal say there's such a thing called Gehenna. First of all, what's Hashem's intention with Gehenna? What is Hashem's intention? What does Hashem want? So this is not, this is important to me. What important to me is that the. Um, the Chazal say Hashem's intention is that we should know that it's there and try not to do things wrong because of it. In other words, this is the Tanit Velio says, that Hashem made Gehenim and, if, and Hashem's plan is that none of us should wind up there. And he won't be saying to himself, oh, it was such a waste that I made Gehenim because he hopes that it will help us on some level with our Yer HaShemayim that we know that there's Schar Va'inish, that we know that there's, that there's punishment. Now, to me, that's very, very, very meaningful. Because that means that Hashem is not like... Hashem is... Not only is He not... I think, we're, I think this Olam has graduated past that the Hashem is out to get us um, kind of Yiddishkeit. Okay? Can I assume that? I can assume that, right? So we're not, we're not Hashem is out to get us, people. But even more than that, even when someone does something wrong, that was not... I'm not dealing with Yudhiya and Bechira. I'm not dealing with what Hashem knew before. That's not my point. But that, that's not the plan. That's not what Hashem wants. Hashem doesn't want that, um, that, that we should wind up again. And what does He want? What does He want? Why did He create me? What does He want from me? You're, you're right. You're right. Okay, and that, that's a, it's worth mentioning that, that the purpose of Gehenna is so that we should, we should be able to, to truly, truly, truly enjoy being close to Hashem. That's true. But I want to go deeper than that. But what does Hashem want? What's the plan? What does Hashem want? What does He want from all? What does Hashem, if we were able to ask Hashem from everybody in the room, what does Hashem want? What does He want from us? So that's clear, that's 100% clear with many proofs that what Hashem wants is for us to be completely, completely, completely happy. That's what Hashem wants. Completely satisfied and happy and enjoying and connected and, and vibrant and alive. That's what Hashem wants. Okay? 
So I'll tell you again, I'm not here to tell you the philosophy of Gehenna, but I'll, I'm just telling you what I tell myself. What I tell myself is, I don't understand what Gehenna is. I don't understand exactly what the point of it is. I don't know exactly how many people are there or not there. I have no idea. I know this. I know that Hashem is very, very smart, and His plan is to get me to be able to be next to Him forever. That's His plan. And part, to me, if you, you, when we were talking about trusting Hashem, to me, trusting Hashem ultimately is that I trust His plan. That even if sometimes I feel like Zach, I feel like going into the Kisei Covenant and saying, Hashem, let me explain to you how to do this differently. Okay? I feel like doing that, but I'm going to trust that HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows what He's doing. And that if He created this thing called Gehenim, there's a good reason for it, and it has to do with His love for me. I'm going to trust that. Okay? So, so the, the question started with how is it right for people to be, to be put into Gehenim, right? Is that, uh, remind me again. Is that true? Is, the, is, is your taking a page out of his book? Is your premise true? So I I want to I want I want to I want to uh, 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 re I want to restate the premise, okay? Because I don't I don't necessarily I don't I don't think that that's necessarily true, okay? Like for example, one famous person who became religious at forty was Rabbi Akiva. Do you think Rabbi Akiva right now in Shemayim is like he's in like he's on like you know like nowadays you go in the lower dais, you know you think he's on the lower dais? What? But a lot of people could have become the best Rabbi Akiva they could be. So what? But what's Hashem looking at? Hashem is looking at... Hashem gave me a job when I came into this world. Hashem is not comparing me to you. What? Short answer, yes. In fact, in fact, in theory, I'm not... Not messing with Ramesha Feinstein. In theory, you can be in a higher Gan Eden than Ramesha Feinstein. Because... What? Okay, because... Is that theory or you agree with me? The... the um, and because, very simple reason. Because if a person... And Ramesha Feinstein himself would probably tell this to anyone. If a person... Um, if a person has to fight to be able to reach a certain level, and somebody else was very, very high, but he just didn't have to fight so much to reach that level. So it's, you can't wait there. Oh, there's a source for this. The Mabit says this in Akadama to Beis Alikim. The Mabit says that if you have two people, one of them is capable of learning six hours, and one of them is capable of learning two hours, and they both learn two hours, he says one of them reached his tachlis and his unlimited ganeden, and the other one disappointed his tachlis and didn't get up to where he needs to. When someone is born in a... If a kid today is born in B'nai Brak and to two healthy parents 
who teach him how beautiful and wonderful Torah is, and he has no bad experiences, and he's physically, emotionally, and spiritually healthy, and he just learns and learns and learns and learns and learns, and he finishes Shas, I'm going to be a little childish now, he finishes Shas a hundred times. And somebody grows up in New York, and his family situation is complicated, and his rabbeim didn't treat him properly, and he, and he, and he, had, a, he had a journey, and he had maybe some kind of a um, learning disability, and he worked very, 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 very hard to get where he's getting, and he finished Chas two times. There's no way in the world that B'nai Brak holds a candle to two times. There's just no way. He should, he should stand up for two times. Because the hundred times finishing Shas, that was easy. Not easy, but understand, relatively speaking. <coughs> In a way, your question should be the other way. Your question should be, how is it fair for a guy to be born in B'nai Brak and not get any challenges? How is he supposed to go to Gan Eden? What? Right, so the answer is that Hashem knows what each neshama needs and Hashem puts each neshama in the place that could be the best development for that neshama. And no two people are the same. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna, this is going to be the last one because I, I have a very important meeting at 4 o'clock. So I, I just want to end on time. Okay, that's a that's a great, 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 great question. Um, it's a it's a dangerous question. I'll tell you why it's dangerous. It's dangerous because I'm not. There's nothing wrong. We can all listen to the question. I mean that it, it because. Both sides could be dangerous. The guy who spends a night, you know, you know, uh, um, Shabbosing with his with his friends, and goes home and be like, "This is how Moshe Rabbeinu spent Shabbos." Okay, he's delusional. And the guy that goes back, and this I'm even more worried about. The guy that goes back and is like, he just had a wonderful time, and he was inspired, and he sang, and he felt good, and he goes back and like, "Yeah, but it's all stam, human nature, whatever." So every, uh, a lot of the island likes to say, if he would watch a, a movie with a love story, he would cry. Does that mean anything? Big deal. Right? That, that kind of thing. So I, 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 think that the, I think that the answer is both, and that both, things are, both extremes are dangerous. In other words, what I, I'll just, again, I'm just going to, for the sake of being short, and for the sake of, 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 of accomplishing what I want to accomplish, I'm just going to tell you what I tell myself. What I tell myself is like this. I, I'll, I'll have that Oynik Shabbos and I'll have an amazing time and I'll, and, I'll, and I'll feel tremendously connected and alive, gishmak, right? And then I'll go, go to sleep that night and as I'm falling asleep, I'll tell myself that was gishmak and also the other side. In other words, I'll, I'll understand that my nature is to get drawn along with that and I'll allow myself the, it's a word I'm looking for, the reality check that, okay, this, I'm, I, 
That was a very nice Sainik Shabbos. I'm not Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Mibarditchev yet, you know? Well, what's the truth? Is, what? So what's the truth? Is he... The truth is, the truth is, neither and both. <coughs> the truth is that for me, taking my Kaychis into Einik Shabbos is what I am supposed to be doing. In other words, let, let me put it this way. The truth is not about what the truth is. The truth is about the emes of what I should be doing. What should I be doing? And if I was doing what I should be doing, boom, then I'm, and then I'm, then I'm, then, then, then I'm where I need to be. I just need to not become delusional. Not, either, not on either side. So if I'm, you're talking about an Oynik Shabbos, I have this problem when I'm screaming Hashem Kim by Neila. Right? I have this problem when I'm dancing with the Seyvet Torah and some Chastar, and I feel so gefaldig and everyone's dancing around me, and I'm like, well, if I was in an empty room, would I be doing that? Right? I get that cynical thought. I have to be very, very, very careful. That thought has brought many B'nai Torah down. Because we are at a certain place, maybe it's a childish place, but it's where we are, and it's our next step, and it's what we have to do, and it's where we have to get. So for me right now, when I'm sitting with my friends and singing songs for half the night, that's where I need to be for Avaitis Hashem, and that I know for sure, that right now this is where I need to be. What is that? You want to know the truth? You want to pull apart how much of that is physical? How much of that is ruchniistic? How much... Rabbi Kalish has a story about spending Shabbos in a hospital and, and there's nothing... There's no Shabbos, you know, and, 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 and you, you don't feel anything Shabbistic. So how Shabbistic do you really feel? You know, okay, it's, that's an academic question. And the, the Ben Torah is aware that that's true. That's where I go with it. When I'm screaming Hashem Aleichem, I'm all in. But when I'm done, I don't come home and my wife says, can you take out the garbage? I'm like, seriously, you're asking Rechaim Kanievsky to take out the garbage? <laughs> I don't do that. I have in the back of my mind a reality check, like, okay, sun and shine, don't get ahead of yourself. But, but I, so I, I, I it's, a, it's a healthy thing to be aware, like, okay, after everything, we could laugh at ourselves. After everything, we could look at ourselves, like, let's, let's not take ourselves too seriously. But when I'm in, I know this is what I need. This is what's talking to me. This is weird. If I was to ask, I'm pretty sure that if I was to ask the Rabbani Shalom what I should be doing in the end of davening by Ne'ilah, Hashem would say, scream Hashem well like him to the best of your ability. I'm pretty sure that's the right thing to do. And I did the right thing at the end of Yom Kippur. And that's fantastic. And that let, lead, leads me to my next step in life. And I have an awareness. I have an awareness that I'm not Rabbi Israel Salanter. It's an awareness that I have. And I'm not going to... There are people who get carried away. It's true. I have that awareness. I could laugh at myself. I, could, I love the, the concept of like... I could go like that. Yeah. Whatever. I could shrug. So don't take myself so seriously. I could do that, but I, but I still could take myself seriously. And that's the, that's the delicate mix. Rabbi say, as always, it has been an incredible, incredible cup to be You have been listening to a shear from ShasIlluminated.org. For other shear on many topics, or to hear an Eon shear on any Dauphin Shas, including Myron McClaimus on each shear, please visit www.ShasIlluminated.org. To order CDs or for more information, please call 203-312-SHAS. 
That's 203-312-7427 or email info at shasilluminated.org.